morning. Technically, we're not going to have a New Testament reading. Uh, this is the sermon text, sort of. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. You can be seated. So the other day, um, as is common in our house, uh, Deborah found a video that she thought was interesting, so she shared it with us at the table. And this, the subject of it was the butterfly effect. Um, if you haven't ever heard of the butterfly effect, it's a theory in physics that says that if a, if a butterfly flaps its wings on one side of the world, it can cause, say, a tsunami on the other side of the world. And it was, it was interesting, the perspective that the fellow had when he was talking about that. It, he, he talked about how um, everything has consequences and you never know the result or the impact of any of your actions. Um, and I thought when he was explaining it, this, this really sounds like moms. You spend your time interacting with your children and you have no idea the long-term fruit that you will reap from that. You're instilling values that will be present in the next generation and you're shaping character that will impact generations yet to come. Your work, moms, is not trivial. And it does things that you will never see in this life. I want to do four things today. First, I want to encourage moms for what you're already doing. You may think that what you do is small, but you're wrong. You add to the lives of your family. Second, I want to encourage moms to excel still more in what you're doing. Continue to grow and mature in the things that you're doing. Third, I want to let you moms know that you don't have to do these things perfectly. I want you to be free to be a mom and not to be so focused on how you're performing as a mom. And fourth, I want all of the rest of us to acknowledge what moms do and how they benefit us. So happy Mother's Day. And in all of these things that we're going to look at today, I, I don't want any of us to be more focused on the things that we do than why we do them. And this is not just for moms. This is for all of us. You can be a good mom or dad or child, but your reason for doing them may not be to glorify God. And if that's so, you will never be the best mom or dad or husband or wife or child that you could be if you're not born again. So I urge you right now, if you've not trusted Jesus, repent and turn to him 
Let's go ahead and pray. Our Father, I pray for this morning. I pray for us all as we open your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us. Father, we need wisdom. And you've said that if we lack wisdom, we should ask you and you will give to all of us. So I pray for wisdom today. I pray for words to say. I pray that you would override my preparation. And I pray that you would speak words that we need to hear. Father, bless the mothers here today. I pray that you would pour out, out a special portion of grace on them today. I pray that they would know that they are loved and appreciated. Father, be honored here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I started, I said that this was not really the sermon text. Well, it's not. Technically, Ruth chapters 1 through 4 is a sermon text, and I didn't think that we wanted to read the whole thing. Um, we're going to look at specific instances in the book of Ruth where Naomi exemplifies characteristics and traits of being a mom to Ruth. And before we do that, let's just take a quick summary, go through the book of Ruth quickly, and hit the high points. So Naomi was married to a man of Bethlehem named Elimelech. A famine struck, so Elimelech took his wife Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, to live in the land of Moab. Elimelech died in Moab, and his sons, Malon and Kilion, took wives for themselves, Orpah and Ruth. Malon and Kilion also died. So Naomi is in the land of Moab with Moabite women that are widows of her two sons. Naomi heard that the famine in Israel was over, so she started to head back to Israel, her homeland, and she, she encouraged the two widowed women of her sons, Orpah and Ruth, to remain in Moab and to get married and to continue their lives. Orpah stayed, but Ruth clung to her and went with her into Israel. And when they returned to Israel, it was time for barley harvest. Ruth went to the fields to gather grain, to get something for them to, to eat. Here are two widows with no means of taking care of themselves, so she's throwing herself on the mercy of landowners. So Ruth gleaned in a field. She happened to glean in a, man of, of a, or in a field of a man named Boaz, and he showed Ruth great kindness in the field. Ruth returned to Naomi and showed her this is what I've gleaned today. And Naomi was so excited because she had gleaned abundantly. And Naomi revealed to Ruth that that man that she gleaned in his field was a relative. He was a redeemer. And in their culture, um, a near relative could purchase back the land and bring it back into the family that it belonged from. And he could also redeem the wife and give children to her dead husband to continue his, his lineage. Naomi shared a plan with Ruth later to prompt Boaz to redeem her. Naomi's plan was that Ruth should approach Boaz at night, lay herself at his feet, signifying she desired to be redeemed. She did that, but there was a wrinkle in the plan. There was someone else. There was another man 
that was before Boaz that had the right of redemption. So Boaz went to him and told him, redeem them or let me know. The man opted to not redeem them. Boaz redeemed the land. He married Ruth. They had a child, a son. His name was Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David, the king of Israel. So the first thing that I want to look at is that mothers share in the pain of their children. In Ruth 1, 8 through 14, Naomi expressed sorrow to Orpah and Ruth. But it was not just sorrow that she felt for losing her husband and her sons. She said, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake. She entered into the pain of losing their husbands and the prospects of them never having children. She pleaded with them to go back to their people and find husbands for themselves. And while she was trying to help them with their sorrow, she was sorrowful with them. She wasn't just focused on her own sorrow. She was focused on their despair. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This means when we see someone mourning, it is good to just mourn with them. Not forever, but for a time. Sometimes we don't need to try to make a mourning person feel better. Sometimes we need to just be present and mourn with them. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. This is what we do as believers, as redeemed people ourselves, because we are God's chosen ones, because we are holy and beloved by God. We put on compassionate hearts, kindness, and patience, Some people are more naturally compassionate than others, but a Christian who shows no compassion is a contradiction. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God himself is our example in this. He is the God of all comfort. He sets the pattern. He gives us the example of what it looks like to be compassionate, and he empowers us to be compassionate. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that We may comfort others when they are afflicted. And moms, this is you. Very often, much more than your husbands. You hold your children when they're crying from a boo-boo and you comfort them. You listen and you cry with with your children as they recount a trial or a difficulty that they're having. Your children need you to do this. 
they need you to just listen and not tell them why they did or what they did was wrong in the moment. They also, flip side, they also need a dad to tell them to brush it off. That's another sermon for another day. But they usually need uh, mom to hear them first. Some days you may not be doing so well at this. You may be at your limit. Feel free to ask your husband to handle it. You can tell him that if you doctor one more scraped elbow or break up one more fight, you're going to lose it. And it's good for your husband to step in and handle that and show compassion. The next thing that I want to look at is Naomi did good despite facing bitter times. Naomi was seeking good for Ruth and Orpah. She was moved by their pain and desired them to find fulfillment in their lives. And she moved back to Israel to provide for her own well-being and to rejoin her people. In Ruth 1, 20 through 21, we see her emotional state. She said to them, to the people of Israel, when she came back, and they were, they were, they were all saying, is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? She, has she returned? She said, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me, brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And yet, in that, in feeling that grief, she was still pressing on doing good to Ruth, desiring to do good to Orpah. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1, 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so desperately burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. He was literally facing the possibility of death. In that despair, he was concerned with the Corinthians and spent the time and effort to write to them. He was so concerned with them that he wanted to comfort them in any affliction that they were facing. How is Paul able to face such affliction and then pour out his life to minister to them? You would think he would just curl up in a ball and quit. He tells us in the next two verses, 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10 says, Indeed, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. God put him through that so that he would rely on God himself. He didn't just say, Paul, you're suffering, go figure it out. He put Paul through that so that Paul would have to rely on God who raises the dead. God worked it so that Paul would experience deliverance in it. 
we're sometimes called to continue doing good despite facing despair. But God will be with us through it. In it all, we rely on God who raises the dead. Even in the depths of despair, there is hope. Moms, isn't this you? You can be emotionally drained or physically exhausted or facing some tragedy yourself, but who do you think about? Your family. You keep doing the laundry, cooking the meals, driving people places. You attend to scrape knees and look at beautiful works of art and listen to stories. You make sure that your kids aren't starving between meals and that they have pens and pencils and notebook paper. Why? Why, when you may be crushed yourself? Despite whatever you're feeling, you have compassion on your family. And when you have moments like that, you're emulating the Apostle Paul and God sees you and your husbands see you. In the hardest times, cry out to the Lord for strength. Try to not let those moments become the norm. Whenever you're burdened, tell your husband. Help him try to help you. Husbands are sometimes not good at that, but help him try to help you. You don't always have to continue in your despair. Find help to come out of it. The third thing I want to look at is they seek good for their children. There are numerous occurrences in the book of Ruth where Naomi act actively seeks the good of Ruth. First, when Naomi was heading back to Israel, she encouraged Orpah and Ruth to go back to Moab and find husbands there. She was seeking their good in that. Next, when Ruth would not return to Moab, Naomi allowed her to come with her to Israel, and Naomi was willing to be the good that Ruth was seeking. Third, in chapter 3, Naomi actively laid out a plan for Ruth to seek redemption. Naomi took action to help Ruth, and the entire book of Ruth shows Naomi is committed to Ruth's good. It's basic Christianity to say that we should be about doing good to people. Paul told us in Galatians 6.10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We should strive to do good to everyone. Doing good is fundamental to a believer. Paul said in 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So it is good to do good to everyone. And, and there, there are like two especiallys in here. The, the first especially is especially to the household of faith, to fellow believers. We do good to everybody, but we especially focus on those here. But then Paul elsewhere says, if you, deny, if you don't provide for your family, so that, that is an especially. You especially are responsible for taking care of your family. So 
all of us have a responsibility to take care of people generally. Specifically, we take care of one another in here. And specifically, even more, we take care of our families. Moms, you seek the good for your children. You often structure your lives around your children's lives to do them good. And you sacrifice things that you would have to give to your children. You desire to bless your children and give them good things. And you may not feel like you always get it right. You may wonder if you're doing any good at all. And sometimes you may actually fail at doing the good that you want to do. But that's, that's okay. God's grace is sufficient for you in those moments. The next thing I want to look at is waiting patiently in trust. Naomi told Ruth to go to Boaz and lie down at his feet at the threshing floor to show them that she desired for him to redeem her. After Ruth followed Naomi's advice, Ruth returned to Naomi and Naomi asked her, my daughter, and she says that so many times, my daughter, my daughter, how did it go? And Ruth tells her, what had, what had happened. And what had happened was she went, she laid down at his feet, and he told her, either this man will redeem you or I will redeem you. So Naomi, when Ruth fills her in, Naomi said in chapter 3, verse 18, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. What else was there to be done? What else was there to be done? Naomi made the plan. Ruth executed the plan. Now it's on Boaz. What can they do? What else can they do? Wait and trust. Naomi knew that this was the time to just wait and trust. That's not comfortable for us, is it? We like to do something. But we're called to wait patiently under the hand of the Lord. We're called to trust in his providential care. We're also called to action and to not only wait passively by. There's a wisdom to knowing when to act and when to wait. There's a time to act and there's a time to wait and trust. Trusting in the Lord will produce patience. This is hard. This is, this is a difficult lesson for moms, for dads, for husbands, for wives, for children, no matter what situation you're in, this is a difficult lesson, learning to wait and to trust. What can we put into our minds 
so that we will be trusting of the Lord's dealings with us when we're in a situation where there's nothing else to do. Having a confidence that Yahweh strengthens, defends, and helps us. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield, and him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. Or having a confidence that God sovereignly rules over his creation. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There is nothing that happens that he does not govern over. He works all things after the counsel of his will. Or how about knowing that our God will exalt us when the time is right? 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. If we have the proper view on who God is and what he has done for us and what he will do for us, then we will trust him. And if we trust him, then when circumstances arise that there is not an action to take, we will patiently wait for him to work it out. Moms, there are so many things that come up in a normal day that require you to trust that God will work for you, for your good, and for his glory. When your children learn to walk, when they learn to drive, when your children pursue something and might possibly fail, when you're ministering to brothers and sisters in the church and you wonder if you're making a difference for the kingdom, when you're caring for aging parents and you don't know what next to do for them, when your older children go wayward in all these things, you can trust that God is working it for your good and for his glory. And for any who are believers around you, you can trust that God is working your good works for their good. Moms, rest in his care. When there's nothing else that you can do but trust, know that trusting God is the best thing that you can possibly do. Sometimes, though, you may be anxious. You may not see how to trust him. That's okay. There is grace. When you finally come through that difficulty, where you are having a problem trusting, where you are anxious, remember it. Remember how God moved. Remember the people that God put in your path. Remember the outcome that he worked and trust him the next time. So next, moms point their children to the hope 
of a godly future. We often, I, maybe I should say I, because I do this. I don't know about y'all. I often skim over the genealogies in scripture. Sometimes the names are unfamiliar and we don't always have the context of who these people were and what they did. And it's just this long list of names. But the genealogy at the end of Ruth is brilliantly placed and glorious. We're already invested in Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. We probably already know about David. But some of these names are maybe a little bit obscure. They're obscure to me. Ruth 4, 18 through 22 says, Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And this really is the culmination of, of the book, a genealogy, the, the, the part that maybe in your daily reading, you're just, you get into chronicles or numbers and it's just like all these names. But this, this is the highlight. This, this is the big point, the big picture point of the book of Ruth. God acted sovereignly to bring about the birth of Obed so that ultimately from this line of people, David would be born. God had a plan. God wanted David to be born. So he brings this lady, this Gentile from Moab, grafts her into Israel, produces an offspring. And after that, we have David descended from her. Glorious. Should not have happened. Should not have happened. But it did. And even more glorious, even more important than that, although that, that is a, a highlight of the Old Testament, the Old Testament is always peeking forward, looking forward, pointing us to the New Testament. Jesus. Jesus was born from this line. So when we see this, these obscure names, and it's just boring to read, God was sovereignly working in this for the good of the world, for his glory, to bring about King David and then Jesus. Naomi had a significant part in this. And here is where I see the butterfly effect, the wings flapping. She has no clue. She had no clue. She didn't know that this was going to result in salvation for the world. This was the avenue that God chose to work salvation in. Naomi desired Orpah and Ruth to marry and have children. She tried to shoo them away. Ruth clung to her. And it looked like it's not going to happen. We, we don't know what happened to Orpah it didn't look like Ruth was going to have a child. Then Ruth gleaned in Boaz's field, and Naomi crafted a plan. 
God used this act to advance his kingdom in ways that Naomi never could have possibly dreamed of. Maybe she had hopes that she could play matchmaker. Maybe she hoped that she could get Naomi or uh, get Ruth married. She had no clue that she would be in the line of King David and definitely didn't have a clue that she would be in the line of Jesus. God used this act to advance his kingdom. And God works to bring our future in line with his plan in amazing ways. This, this is what we're called to do with our children. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, all your might. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We're to teach and instruct and live in front of our children in ways that point our children to Jesus. That's how it was intended from the beginning. And that's how it continues even now. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Why? Because we're not just looking at ourselves and we're not just looking at our children, these people, these children. We have a hope that following generations will continue to follow Jesus and that our descendants will be used by God in ways that we can't even imagine. Moms, you're not just impacting your children. You're impacting generations to come. You don't know how simple things will take root in your children. You won't see it all now. You will not see the fruit of everything that you've done for your children now. There's no possible way that you will see it in your lifetime because it will continue with them, with their children, with their children. The things that you do for your children, with your children, in your children, will continue not only in them, but it will continue for generations to come. You may feel like it's hopeless to try sometimes. Don't despair. Don't despair. God is working his plan and he is using you. And just like Naomi, you have no clue what the future will hold, but you can trust that God is working. The last point I want to look at is that mothers share in the joy of their children. Two things that I want to look at from the book of Ruth showing Naomi sharing in the joy of Ruth are first, after Ruth had gone out to glean and she found the field of Boaz, she came home with a lot of grain, a lot of grain, way more 
than Naomi would have expected from one day. Naomi was amazed. And in Ruth 2.19, Ruth said to her, where, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? She knew that this was not just Ruth's work, although it was commendable. She said, blessed be the man who took notice of you. She rejoiced in the amount of grain that Ruth had come back with. Second, at the end of the story, after Ruth and Boaz marry, and they have a child, Obed. We don't see Naomi's emotional response. We don't hear her thoughts, but Ruth 4, 14 through 16, give us an indicator. Then the women, this is just women that are gathered around Naomi, her friends. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her, nap, on her lap and became his nurse. The only thing that we see from Naomi is she's taking the child and she's laying it on her lap and she's becoming the nurse. But in my mind, and maybe I'm just reading into the text, these women are just full. They see what God has done. They're amazed at what God has done. They're amazed at the blessing that's been poured out on Ruth and now on Naomi. And in my mind, when Naomi takes this child and holds it in her lap, she's saying, yes, God is good. God is good. So she seems to be echoing the same thing that these women are saying. And this is exactly what we're called to. We looked at this verse at the beginning from a different context, Romans 12, 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We saw the moms weep with their children weeping. But now we see Naomi rejoicing with Ruth. We're called to this. We are made to walk with one another. Just as our burdens are reduced when we have someone to bear them with, our joys are multiplied when we have someone to bear them with, aren't they? And isn't that what we want? Don't we want our burdens to be less and our joy to be more? That's one of the blessings of being in a body and having family. Jesus said in John 15, 11, these things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's a great model for us. That is a great model for us. The God of the universe was so full of joy that he wanted us to experience his joy. Joy is for sharing. And when we see someone that we care for rejoicing, 
we rejoice with them. And when we rejoice together, the, the rejoicing and the joy multiplies. This kind of rejoicing with those who rejoice is an overflow of love. We rejoice with them because we love them. And our joy is not about us, but it's an echo of our love for them. Moms, don't you do this? Maybe more than anybody else. Stop and consider the people who rejoice with you the most in your history, your life, who has consistently rejoiced with you the most. I think moms are going to be at the top of your list. I bet you nearly everybody, moms are going to be at the top of your list. So moms, continue rejoicing when your kids get good grades or mourning with them if their grades aren't so good. Rejoice with your kids when they do well at the band concert or, when they, or at the play or at the game. Rejoice with them when they find someone to love and get married to and have a baby. Rejoice when they have a great job and they find a house to buy. But most of all, more than any of those things, rejoice with them when they're following Jesus. In all things, let your joy be an overflow of love for them. And let your joy increase their joy. So moms, happy Mother's Day. Take heart. God is using you in your children's lives to give them what they need to accomplish his purpose for them. Have you thought about that? Why do you have your children and not some other children? Your children need you. Whatever it is that you're giving to them, they needed that. God is using what you are doing in their lives for his glory and for your good and for their good. Some days you'll feel like you got everything wrong. God works even those days for your good and for your children's good. God bless you, moms. The question with eternal consequences is not whether you're a great mom, but are you a redeemed mom? Is your mothering joined with faith in Jesus? Are you working out your motherhood in the fear of the Lord? If you aren't, you will never know what it fully means to be a mom. And the same thing goes for everyone. If you're not living your life for the glory of God, you will never know what your life is for. He welcomes you. Jesus Christ offers salvation, forgiveness. He offers life to all who will come to him. Repent. Come to Jesus. He will not cast you away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for moms. Thank you for the children that you've blessed them with.
I pray that all of us would have a view of our children, that you are working in ways that we can't possibly fathom. I pray that our hearts would be full when we consider that and that we would not be overwhelmed with the difficulties of the day, but that we would trust you fully. Father, bless moms today. Let them have a good day. Let them rejoice in their children. Father, thank you again for today. I pray that as we come to your table, I pray that we would uh, consider all the ways that you have blessed us, all of, the, all of the blessings that you've poured out. I pray that we would consider our salvation. I pray that we would consider that you have given us everything in Christ. Father, be with us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.